0: put anxiety where it belongs get the safe empowerment system for anxiety over at quietbegins.com life presents the toughest challenges every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world we're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Paul Koleani and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. You know, I was writing out my bio today for, I forget what reason, and um, I wrote out that this show pretty much helps me help you communicate in a more healthy way with people. There's relationship communication that goes on. And when you learn a healthier way, a more positive or productive, I should say, more productive way to communicate with other people, you learn how to communicate with yourself as well. But a lot of people don't apply that. They apply that healthier communication with others uh, when they learn the tools and the resources they need to be able to do so. uh, But they don't apply it to themselves. So that would be like me having a coaching client and walking them through some stressful thing and then me having a problem in my personal life and not walking myself through that stressful thing, not using my own tools that I use with others. It's sort of along the lines of do as I say, not as I do. And um, I try not to practice that. I try not to practice, I'm going to help you through this using this technique or these words or these questions and then not do it on myself i try not to do that because i want to make sure the information that i'm providing you is valid i want to be able to make sure it works and yes i can do it with others and yes what i do with them is uh, helpful and it works but you know how it goes we often get in our own stuff we're in our own stuff and we can't see from outside ourselves So it's like being on fire and being calm enough to go either roll on the ground or jump in a lake or, you know, turn on the shower and jump in the shower. It's hard to be conscientious when you're on fire, to use that analogy. So it's hard to be your own best coach or therapist when you're in your stuff. And that's how I look at it. So I'm saying that I try to do my best to work on myself when my own problems come up, uh, in the same way I would work with clients. But I'm also sharing with you that uh, when you have trouble doing that, when you are talking in a healthier, more productive way to other people, to remember that you can also do that with yourself. For example, you can ask a friend, "Oh, you know, when you when you learned about that." Uh, What did you do? What did you say? And you wouldn't necessarily ask that of yourself. You would ask your friend because A, you probably don't know and B, you want to help walk them through whatever's going on. Uh, You know, It depends on your your tools and how you approach people and their issues if you want to help people with their issues. But I think a lot of people that listen to shows like this are probably more inclined to want to help if they can. So you'll ask a friend or a you know, whoever needs help, uh, questions like that. Oh, what happened? What'd you do? What'd you think? How did you feel? I think it's important to remember to ask yourself those same questions. I think when a problem comes up for you and you're not sure how to handle it and you're in your own stuff, to stop and ask yourself those questions, to walk yourself through it as if that person, you, is separate from you. And so you could ask the question, well, when he said that to you, how did it make you feel? You could ask it, you know, how did it make me feel? But I like the idea of just separating just for this process and asking yourself questions, walking yourself through it just to get a a more analytical perspective because we can separate from ourselves and do this. And when we do, we take ourselves out of the emotional trigger. When we're in the emotional trigger, it's hard to get out. Oh, I'm feeling so angry. How are you going to help yourself when you're so embroiled in the anger? I mean, it's possible. You can do it for sure. But it's harder because the emotional state that you're in kind of floods your system. So how do we open the dam so the emotional state isn't flooding our system and we can look at something more reasonably rationally, logically, not that logic is the only solution. I I believe you have to have a mixture of all of the above to come to a good solution for yourself. You know, don't get rid of the emotional state altogether. Just lessen it a little bit. Just help yourself reach a more usable state, a more resourceful state, so that you can ask yourself questions, so that you can walk yourself through whatever you need to walk yourself through. It's helpful. It's helpful to be able to see yourself over there, ask yourself questions, and figure out from the outside uh, what's going on in that person over there, if that makes sense. If it doesn't, keep listening <laughs> because that's sort of what we're talking about today, or at least one part of it, is helping yourself through challenges. And this came up because I have a listener slash coaching client that I worked with who sent me a question about Byron Katie's work. If you don't know Byron Katie, she's out there doing similar stuff to me. She's been doing it longer and she's quite brilliant in how she approaches things and the techniques that she comes up with. And one of the techniques she uses is called the four questions. And my client said, These deep dive questions are really interesting. I really love this kind of stuff. And he's talking about um, some of the deep dive questions that I use, that I've talked about in other episodes, where you dive into the emotion, you dive into the thought, and you kind of break it apart from the inside out. Uh, He said that it also reminds me of the four questions popularized by Byron Katie. First question is, is it true? Second question is, can you absolutely know it's true? Third question is, uh, he wrote, Who are you with this thought? And um, according to Byron Katie's website, I think she has updated that question to read. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? I'm going to read these again. So if you're following along, don't worry, we'll go over this again. And number four is, who are you without this thought? And so my client is like, I don't understand why this works. Do you have any thoughts on this? My answer is, sure. Sure. I have some thoughts on this and why it works. Um, The first thought is what I just talked about. You are separating yourself from the situation, the stress point, the uh, trouble that you're having and the person who's having that trouble. So if my trouble is, uh, let me use an example, uh, like Joe at work says, I'm a lousy person because I ate two cookies in the break room when I was only supposed to have one. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but, uh, the person that comes in and eats more than there are the number of employees at work, somebody might get upset. Everyone else had one cookie, but I had two. So that that's my, uh, made up scenario here. So let's just say that, um, somebody got mad at me and said, you're a lousy person. No, Joe got mad at me, said, you're a lousy person. And I took offense to that and I was hurt. And maybe I got angry at Joe because, you know, how dare he call me a lousy person just because I took an extra cookie. Plus, I know that so-and-so is a diabetic and they're not going to have a cookie anyway. So, you know, I'm going to start making these excuses and I'm going to stick to my guns because, you know what, I deserve another cookie because I've been here for a long time. I'm going to come up with all these excuses that help me justify why I did what I did. So... I'll go through the four questions that Byron Katie asks the first one is is it true so here we go this is uh, what my clients asking is why does this work so the is it true question and this is my own opinion this is my own thought Byron Katie may have had other reasons for writing these questions and other ways uh, that she understands how this works but this is going to be my understanding of how and why it works and you know we all have our own approach to this so uh, I'm going to tell you why I believe this works. Uh, the first question is it true? So, using this example, uh, is it true that what? You know, she doesn't really explore this. Is it true? Is what true? So, right off the bat, I'm looking at this as more critical minded, asking myself, is what true? I want to know, is what true? I can't answer the question if I don't know what it is. Okay, let's look at it as did I take another cookie? Yes, that's true. Can't get past that. Uh, but what if I explored that a little bit more, and the thoughts that I'm having about myself because I'm angry? Uh, maybe uh, maybe I need to ask myself if something else is true. Am I a lousy person? Because those words came up. I know I'm buying Katie's website, TheWork.com. She talks about you know writing it down first. So you're going to have a lot of sentences and words that come up about the problem or the challenge you're having, and you can use those in these questions. So like I said, one of the words that came up for me, or at least what Joe said about me was that I'm a lousy person. So I can ask myself if that's true too. So this is it true question, the reason this works, in my opinion, is that it's ambiguous enough for you to explore a little harder in your brain asking you what is true and some people get caught up here because well is what true i need to know more well this is sometimes what needs to happen inside our brains is that we have to explore internally what we're looking for so is it true is what true well now i have to explore okay is what true i stole the cookies that's true Uh, i'm a lousy person oh is that true Now we're starting to evaluate ourselves. Is that true? Well, I don't think I'm a lousy person. You know, I'm going to start talking to myself, trying to figure out if that's true or not. And maybe I'll come up with something else that I'm going to question as true. Like, is it really true that a diabetic person can't have a cookie? You know, I might bring that into the mix here. And I might think, well, maybe they can because they regulate their blood sugar. I don't know. And so I'm going to start breaking apart what I believe about all these things I wrote down or thought about. I'm breaking it apart. I'm I'm separating them into separate thought processes. I'm giving myself an opportunity to explore each and every single little factoid or tidbit that I pulled out just to make sure that I'm not mashing everything together and skipping any details. And what this does is help you identify what you might have generalized. So to my client that asked me why this works, I think for number one, it works because we can often say a bunch of stuff that's very general and not really explore each and thing that we said and just skip over it. So the is it true helps us explore deeper inside of our mind and figure out if we know reality as much as we think we do. And this kind of leads to number two, which is can you absolutely know it's true? What I like about this is that let's just say that we came up with some good solid answers for number one. This helps you challenge those answers. Can you absolutely know it's true? This causes you to dive in even further and challenge even further by running hypotheses Against what you just said, it sounds a little confusing. But what I'm saying is that let's just say that I reexamined the comment. I stole another cookie. If I reexamine that, I might think, well, I didn't steal it, or at least I don't think I stole it. But can I absolutely know that that's true? That I didn't steal it? Do I know it for sure? In my mind, I didn't steal it. I just took it because it wasn't going to get eaten. So here I am now diving further into that statement and making sure that I know 100% that what I said is true or what I believe is true. And what that does is force me to start becoming doubtful. And this is helpful when you have doubts about something you feel bad about. So number two to my client or anyone that's interested is uh, I, I look at this as you're starting to create doubt in your mind because what it's doing is taking the reality that you've accepted and creating some skepticism. So number one challenging your, your reality. Number two is starting to create doubt about your reality because what's going to happen if you don't have a solid foundation of what you believe to be true, the rest of it can kind of loosen up and doesn't have such a strong grip on you. I mean, imagine if you believed that uh, you were unlovable or unworthy, and the question, is it true, came up, and you said, well, yes, yes, it's true. And then you ask the question, well, can you absolutely know it's true? Can you know it for sure? And where my mind goes is I'm going to look at all the references. Well, you know, my mom loved me, but all these relationships, they all hated me. Or they all thought that I was unlovable, or this and this and this. And I might ask myself the question again, can you absolutely know that's true? Did did they say that you are unlovable and that's why I'm incapable of loving you? Well, no, they didn't say those words. I just assumed that I was unlovable because of what they did. Yeah, okay, so you can't really tell me, and this is me talking to myself, you can't really tell me that you're unlovable. Well, I'll get frustrated with myself because that's the reality that I created. That's what I'm clinging on to. That's what's keeping me... Uh, where I am. And to break that reality apart forces me to admit that I might be wrong about something. And if I'm wrong about something, it's going to make me feel bad because being wrong about something might put me on a downward spiral or make me feel sad or whatever it is. Because when we feel right about something, we feel like we have more control in our life. We feel like we are more empowered. But to admit that we're wrong about something Especially that's something that we want to hold true about ourselves. I mean, we don't want to hold true that we're unlovable, for example. But sometimes just knowing that we are kind of gives us a little bit of strength. But sometimes when you believe that you really are something that might be unhealthy to believe, it gives you a little bit of strength because you feel justified that you're right. And what that does is it really messes with your brain. It really messes with your philosophies in life. Because if you go around having beliefs that don't serve you, then what ends up happening is that you end up unhappy. And when you're unhappy, it's hard to get happy because you have beliefs that aren't true. And so questions like this help break apart what you believe to be true. And so those two questions, is it true? Can you absolutely know it's true? are helping to create a new foundation that isn't so solid anymore. The old solid foundation might have been, I know it's true, nothing can change my mind. The new foundation opens the door to your closed mind. Not that you have a closed mind, I'm saying that sometimes a challenge can come along and close your mind and now you have this reality in a box. Let's open that box and explore what's more. What else could be true? That's not one of the questions, but that's a good question, too. What else is true? What else could be true? But that's not part of this. Um, (laughs) Just write that down for future use. Uh, Number three is how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? So this is a good one, too, because what it's doing is it's forcing you to understand what emotions are connected to that belief. At least, again, this is my interpretation. Uh, How do you react? Well, I react with anger. Uh, what happens when you believe that thought? Well, I get angry. I get upset. I feel like an inferior person. I feel like Joe's a jerk. You know, I feel like I'm better than what he's describing me. I think and feel all these things. And the way I look at that is that what you're doing is you're taking the reality that you believed in, that you were holding on to, and you're attaching what emotions come with that reality. Because once you know the emotions that come with a the reality, then it is kind of a good thing to understand if you really want that reality. So a reality might be, I'm a lousy person and I'm angry at myself. I mean, that could be someone's reality. I'm, an, I'm a lousy person and I'm angry at myself. Well, what happens when you believe that thought? Oh, I, I feel pretty lousy. This is sort of a a meta comment on the belief as well. It's sort of like, what about feeling bad makes you feel bad? You're diving into the feeling bad. And what about feeling bad uh, makes you feel bad? Well, that's kind of an odd question. But if you explore it, what it does is it kind of separates you again from the closed reality, the closed box of reality that you might have been in so that you can explore it even further and break it apart even further and get you closer to a bigger picture, a zoomed out image of how you really think and feel, because when you're in it, you might feel pain, you might feel hurt, you might feel sadness, but if you step out of that, and you look at that pain and hurt and sadness, and you ask yourself, well, how do I feel about that pain, hurt, and sadness, you're going to have a different feeling, Oh, that that doesn't feel very good at all, all right, let's step outside of that too, And now I'm adding something here, but let's step outside of that too and look at that how you don't feel so good about that pain and hurt and sadness. How do you feel about how you feel about that? You can see these uh, step outs, these dissociations from the main problem or the main challenge can help you start to zoom out to the point where you aren't so connected, so embroiled, so enmeshed that. It doesn't affect you like it used to as you try to work this out. It's going to shift your emotional state as you work this out. So number three question, how do you react when you believe that thought or what happens when you believe that thought or the original one that my client wrote, which is who are you with this thought helps you to understand how you feel and how you think when you have this thought. And why that matters is because if you don't like how you feel and how you think, this is your opportunity to start shifting in a direction outside of your original belief in a reality that doesn't serve you. So this is pretty deep stuff. I get it, but it's helpful to understand why something like this works because even just talking about it can help you start to break apart your current beliefs and the current boxes of realities that you are storing inside your psyche and you know like uh you might have an anger from a long time ago still in a box in there and what would happen if you opened that box and explored it in a different way this is why some of the stuff that we've talked about before where what does that situation look like if you're 20 feet away from watching yourself go through that situation what's it like That's that dissociation I talk about every now and then. What's it like over there for that person experiencing that pain? And if you can look at yourself over there, stepping outside yourself, and assess things, evaluate things from this perspective, there might be a chance, a good chance, that you can see it differently and heal from it differently. And then what might be a deeper step is to integrate with that person over there So that you have a higher understanding and a more integrated perspective instead of having such an isolated perspective. So you're in it and you're outside of it and you see both perspectives or multiple perspectives and then you reintegrate because you stepped outside yourself, step back into yourself, reintegrate, and now you have an entirely new reality. Again, some pretty deep stuff. So let's go to number four. Uh, The last question is, Who are you without this thought? And let me just ask you that question. Think of something that stresses you out. And, you know, think of an obsessive thought you always have. Like, oh, I can't get rid of that thought. And it stresses me out. It really bugs me. Who are you without that thought? What you end up doing is separating the emotional state that you're always in from the person you are inside so that you get to experience yourself as someone who isn't continuously invaded by thoughts that you don't want. And that's sort of like saying, what would it be like if you were in the most peaceful place in the world? Oh my God, that'd be so wonderful to be in the most peaceful place in the world. That's what I need. What that does is put you into the state that you want to be in. And the best way to describe that is I went to a class once. It was when I was first starting to learn NLP. And I said, you know, way back then, I said, I just want to be happy. And that's a very common uh, statement when people go to therapy or coaching or anything like that is, I just want to be happy. And so the the teacher looks at me and she goes, okay, uh, do you remember when you were happy? I was like, "I, I don't know. She goes, well, remember a specific time that you were happy? And I said, okay, let me go there. And she goes, really see yourself in that space. Uh, looking through your own eyes, hearing what you heard and feeling the feelings of being happy. And she said, are you there? And I said, yes, I feel happy. Yes, I'm there. And she goes, there you go. You're happy. (laughs) And I said, well, I'm happy about that. And I was happy then, but I'm not happy now. And she goes, yes, but where you just were in your mind, you were happy. You put yourself there. You made a conscious choice to be happy in that moment. And so, you know, my thoughts racing like, well, you know, I've got all these problems in my life. And she goes, yes, but you're not in those problems when you're in that state. You consciously put yourself in that state and we're happy in that moment. So the comment of I just want to be happy, that's easy, she said. I'm not saying it's easy, it it can be difficult, but to put yourself in a state of happiness, all you have to do is imagine that you're happy or that when you were happy, what did it feel like? And when you're in that state, you can remember all the feelings associated with it and suddenly you're happy. It doesn't work for everyone, but that's what happened with me. And of course, it's a fleeting moment. That happiness was the fleeting moment because when I came back, I was you know, in my stuff again. But my point is, the question, who are you without this thought, is sort of like that. Because who I am right now, I have these thoughts and these emotions and my reality packed into this box of understanding. But who am I without that box of understanding? Who am I without that reality? Oh, there's some dissociation there. There's me separating from this life I'm living and picturing myself or experiencing a different life because without these problems, who am I? And so this separation helps you further loosen your grip on your reality and break open the box that was your reality, that was your foundation and give you a new perspective. So to the client who wrote to me, that's my insight, my opinions on Byron Katie's work on this particular issue. And she goes further into it. On her website thework.com she didn't ask me to promote her or anything like that but I do appreciate her work and I think it's helpful for the world so I'm sharing it here but she has more to that process it's not just the four questions and I'm sure you'll get a lot from it if you have any niggling thoughts going on inside of you any pain or hurt or sadness or stress uh, this can be helpful for some of that stuff and going back to what I said about treating yourself as your own client You know, I'm your best friend. I'm your therapist. You're looking at yourself that way. Uh, It does help you separate and step out of the emotional state that you might be in. And that process by itself is part of getting a bigger picture, getting a more clear perspective, having the fog lift a little bit because the final question that Byron asks is, who are you without that thought? That's very present moment thinking as well, like Eckhart Tolle when he says, presence is in the space between the words. That's a nice feeling too. There are lots of things to practice to get into that present state, to get out of the past, to get out of the future and be right here right now. A lot of this is really present moment thinking and putting yourself in a different state of mind and a different state of emotion so that you're not drowning in negativity. And when you're not drowning, there's a chance that you can actually make it to shore. Hope this helps. And I wanna thank you, the client who wrote to me and asked me that question. It was interesting breaking those questions apart and exploring the process behind what happens when you answer those questions. Pretty cool stuff. Hope this helps. Be right back. Welcome back. What we just talked about in the last segment made me think about uh, something else which has to do with the emotion that we're feeling in any in any particular moment isn't always necessarily the emotion that we're having. And what I mean by that is the negative emotion that we're feeling in a particular moment isn't necessarily or may not necessarily be the emotion we're actually having or the thought that we're actually having. There's usually something in front of it so we don't have to feel the other thing or we're not sure that we feel the other thing so we have this emotion instead. What I mean by that is anger is a good one. We get angry at someone or we get angry at ourselves or just angry in general, but what we're doing is hiding something underneath. We're irritated, we're frustrated, we're upset at somebody for what they said or what they did and then our thought is like, I am angry at that person. But maybe that thought isn't true. There's the first question. Is it true? Maybe that thought isn't true. Maybe I'm not angry at someone. Maybe I'm angry at myself for not reacting the way I wanted to react when they did that thing. That's often where I go. Am I really angry at that person? Am I really upset at that person? Well, yeah, that person was a jerk. But what am I really angry about? Because if I say, well, I'm angry that they did that to me. I'm going to ask the question, what about that makes me angry? That's the meta questioning. You're asking the about about something. What about that makes me angry? In other words, why does that make you angry? I mean, you can ask it like that too. Why does that make me angry? Well, because he shouldn't be a jerk. Yes, but why does that make you angry? Because when he's a jerk, it makes me feel small. It makes me feel insulted. Okay, so there's something a little deeper. And what about that? Feeling insulted, feeling small makes you angry. Well, I feel insulted and small, and I feel powerless. Ah, now we're getting deeper. These are the deep dive questions I mentioned in the last segment. Okay, how deep can we go here? What about feeling powerless is a problem? Why is that a bad thing? That's another one of my questions. Why is that a bad thing? Well, because if I feel powerless, I feel like... Someone's running my life, and if someone's running my life, it makes me mad. Okay, now we're back to anger, but why does that make you mad? Why does that make you angry? What specifically are you angry about? And what you'll often find is that what you feel towards someone else can be reversed back onto you. This might be part of Byron's work. I think she calls it the turnaround. Turnaround. I'm not sure if it's exactly like this, but I like to look at it this way. If I turned it around, turn the anger onto myself, what would I be angry at myself for? So you go through these deep dive questions and then you turn the emotion that you're feeling towards someone else onto yourself. What would I be angry at myself for? And if you can't think of anything, try to think of something, make something up. Well, if I had to be angry at myself, it would probably be because I didn't stand up for myself. That could be huge. You might hit on something that is very triggering inside of you. Gee, you know, I never stand up for myself. I want to, and I never do. And that could be something you're carrying around with you. And when people violate your values or violate your boundaries, You're probably going to have this inner anger towards yourself for not standing up for yourself or not being able to because the circumstances won't allow you to or you feel stuck, whatever it is. That's another way you can look at this is that as you break the reality apart of what you believe is happening, like that person's a jerk and I can't stand to be around that person and it's all them. Wait, what part of it is me? What part of it have I failed to do? You might not like the word fail, but use it. I mean, use it anyway. What part of this have I failed? Because the reason it bothers you is because something inside of you was unable to handle it or couldn't handle it or didn't want to handle it in the way you really wanted to handle it. Not always, but in most cases, this is what you're going to find. This is all part of learning how to communicate in a healthy way so that you are better off after the communication instead of worse off after the communication. If you feel you would be better off by standing up for yourself in this particular circumstance, then you would leave the conversation feeling better about yourself. Because how often do we leave some negative conversations feeling bad about ourselves? I mean, what we normally do is feel angry at someone else. But there's a part of us that must feel feel bad in some way for us to hold on to it. Because it's easy to look at someone and go, well, they're a jerk. There's nothing I can do about that. They're a jerk. Uh, So I don't really have to hold on to that. That's them, not me. So I can walk away. But we don't often do that. We'll often look at someone and say, they're a jerk. They said this to me and now I'm angry. Why are you holding on to that anger or upset? And these are what questions like this are designed to break apart so that you don't have to continue walking around with this negativity. Because you know what happens, you hold on to negativity, and it comes out in the future in destructive ways. It comes out by lashing out at your partner, or your kids, your boss, your coworker. It comes out in so many other ways, and this is why what we feel in the moment isn't necessarily what's truly happening inside of us. For example, when you say, I am angry at you because you did this to me, When you dive into that, it could be I've held a lot of anger at myself for never being able to stand up to people like you and I'm getting sick of it or it wears me down or I'm going to take it out on you because I haven't been able to utilize it in myself. There's all kinds of ways we hold things in and never make a moment about what we're holding in and we make the moment about someone else doing something we don't like. Because when it comes down to it, when someone does something we don't like, most of the time we have a choice not to associate with them or communicate with them. But instead of taking that choice and go, you know what, I don't want to be around you, we instead choose to stick around them. This doesn't apply to everyone. Sometimes there's family you can't get away from. Sometimes there's a job you need desperately, so you have to deal with that jerk at work. Sometimes there's a relationship that you're in and and leaving means being broke and homeless. I mean, all kinds of situations that come up. But what ends up happening is that we put all of our energy and point it at someone else when in reality, the domino effect of what we've done in our life has brought us to this moment And we have to look inward to figure out how we contributed. How have I contributed to this moment right now? The anger isn't about all the dirty dishes you left in the sink. The anger is about what? What inside me have I been holding on to that I've not yet resolved and not yet healed from and not yet figured out how to process and work with so that when there's dirty dishes in the sink, I have a way to communicate what's going on inside of me so that it doesn't become all about blaming you for everything you do, but taking responsibility for what's happening inside of me as well, because they're not off the hook. (laughs) You're, You're taking responsibility as well to get to the deeper meaning inside of you. When you leave dishes in the sink, which I'm mad about, it reminds me of how many times I've let you get away with stuff making me feel powerless, making me feel disrespected, unlovable, unworthy. Not that you say that, but you think it, you process it, you coach yourself through it. So you understand where it's really coming from. So your finger is not always pointing at someone else. And you actually pay attention to the three fingers pointing back at you when you're pointing at someone else so that you understand how you contributed to it. Again, there are jerks and you simply might not be able to get away from them, but you often have this inner emotional stuff that needs to be addressed so that you don't always point the finger at someone else and say, look what you're doing to me, look what you're doing to me, look what you're doing to me, pointing at so many other people and playing the victim over and over and over again. When in reality, it's something that you haven't resolved in yourself that will take you to the next level, that will give you better relationships, that will give you better communication skills, that will make you healthier overall if you were to just dive in and bring this stuff up for processing and healing. It's deep. It takes a long time sometimes. And sometimes you need a professional to help walk you through it. But if you keep getting the same results over and over again, It's important to look inward and make sure that you are on a healing journey so that you don't get stuck in the same patterns and the same types of relationships and the same conversations over and over again so that you never reach a higher level of happiness and you don't want that. It's kind of a deep episode today, (laughs) but I hope it's good stuff for you. I hope you can wrap your brain around some of the stuff I said today. Not that I'm Mr. Complex. I just want to make sure I explained it well and if I didn't, you know, let me know. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of the overwhelmed brain i want to remind you to head over to quietbegins.com if you're carrying around anxiety if you're dealing with anxiety and the stuff we talked about on today's episode don't necessarily help to break that anxiety apart then maybe you need a little bit more quietbegins.com it's not only like a masterclass, but it actually walks you through breaking apart anxiety while you're in it you know the emergency pods do that so quietbegins.com if you're dealing with that I also want to thank Cat. I think I said that right, in Australia, for her review of the show in iTunes, very thoughtful. She said, you helped save my life, and she's talking about getting into a, a toxic relationship after 20 years of not being in any relationship, and she's still dealing with the residual of the relationship that she got in. So after 20 years of not being in a relationship, she gets into one, and it just happens to be toxic, and you know, toxic is probably emotional abuse. Bad behavior, mistreating, disrespectful, and who knows what else she had to deal with. And uh, thank you for that review, Tangent Cat. And I hope you are still healing from this. And you do have to be careful. Kind, caring, generous, supportive, and empathetic people do get into toxic relationships because of all those wonderful qualities. But that doesn't mean you should get rid of the qualities. That doesn't mean you should tone them down. It just means you need to be aware That some people prey upon those qualities. These emotional predators find people with wonderful qualities because those are the qualities that feed their dysfunction. Your nice qualities are the fuel for their toxic fire. So don't change who you are. Just watch out for the red flags. You don't have to be a different person. You just have to walk a different line. And just because you're kind and caring and generous and all those nice qualities doesn't mean you have to be vulnerable or naive. So be all those things and be aware of the emotional predators in the world. And one way to do that is, you know, I have the Love and Abuse podcast, so you can go to loveandabuse.com. Listen to that. I think I actually have a specific episode on the warning signs or the red flags of dating. So you definitely want to listen to that. And I do plan on making some more content for people that are single, for people that want to date or are dating, so that they don't get stuck with someone that makes them miserable. And it sounds like you went through something miserable, and I'm so glad that you got out of that relationship, and hopefully you're learning what those warning signs are, so that when you do date someone new, that you can stop it before it gets too deep. Again, loveandabuse.com is going to dive into that even further. So thank you, Tangent Cat. I appreciate you sharing that with me. And I would also like to thank the supporters of The Overwhelmed Brain. Yes, we ask for your support because not every episode is sponsored by an advertiser. The advertisers do help, uh, but every now and then, just like this episode, we don't have a an outside organization sponsoring the show. And even when we do, all of this is not paid for by any other entity. So that's why we ask for your support. And that's why we have the patron program over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And those who are supporting, like Angela, who renewed her yearly patron support, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And as always, if you value this podcast and you want to show your support, head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And you'll find ways to show your support there. And plus, at that site, you'll have access to the private episode library and the videos and the workbooks and stuff that you don't see on my regular site. So if you're looking for more ways to help yourself through things, to deal with other issues in your life, check it out. Patron.TheOverwhelmedBrain.com Thank you, existing patron members. I appreciate you. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And one of my favorite questions I love to ask myself and my clients and friends when they're dealing with an issue and they're asking for my help, I will start to ask what about and then finish that question with some more words like what specifically are you upset about? It's some sort of a variation of what about and that's the meta questioning you're asking something about something what about her comment made you angry and then you get into some deep diving with questions like alright you're angry how does being angry make you feel there's some abstract relationship to the anger that you now have to formulate in your brain and figure out how to not only think about it but how to answer it how do I feel about being angry Or something like that. I forget what I asked now. But the idea is to continue exploring until you almost hit on every facet of what you're feeling and what happened. It's almost like when something bad happens or something that makes us angry or upset, it's like we store it away. And We put it in that box of reality and we remember it over and over again the exact same way because we know how it happened And that's exactly how it happened. And there's no alteration from how it happened So there's no reason to revisit it. It just makes me mad But if we revisit it and look at all the facets of it in all the different Perceptual positions that we can be in like if I look at it through that person's eyes Or if I look at it from 20 feet away if I look at it From uh, 100 feet above where I'm looking down at the event, if I look at it from all these different perspectives, what does it look like then? Or not even perceptually, like being on a different point on a map, but also, what would that look like if I were a different person? There's a similar take that we talked about before, like, who am I without that problem? Well, what would that problem look like if I was my dad? What would that problem look like if I was my mom? What would that problem look like if I was my best friend, my guide, my mentor, my coach? What would that problem look like then? And then you start to role play a little bit and you become that other person in your thought process. That's pretty wild. I mean, when I try that on, I think, okay, what would that problem look like to my mom? Oh, my God, my brain would melt. (laughs) That's where I go. My mom's brain would melt, but if I'm her, my brain would melt, so that's my perspective. Well, at least I'm not my mom. My brain's not melting. I'm able to handle it. What would it look like if I were my friend Matthew? Huh, Matthew might approach it this way. What would it look like if I was uh, my girlfriend? Huh, she would look at it this way. And it helps me get out of my own head. And sometimes you just need to do that. You just need to get out of your own head, get out of your own space, get out of the old associations. Because when you're in your own head and you remember things like things that hurt you, things that upset you, if you remember those things the same way every time and you're not seeing them differently, they never go away. There's no way, there's no escape for them. They just stick around. So I love processes like the ones we talked about today. And there's so many more ways to explore what goes on inside of you. I mean, I could probably think of a thousand ways to explore a single problem. I won't do that in a single episode, but I will break them down into individual episodes and we can all figure it out together. But the point is, you can make this stuff up. I know that might sound a little weird, but you can make this stuff up. You can ask yourself weird questions. What would it look like if I was a mosquito about to bite me? (laughs) Well, I don't have the problem then because I'm a mosquito and I probably will only be alive for a few hours or days. It's a little bit of a stretch, but you get the point. You can make this stuff up. What would this problem be if we lived on the moon? I probably wouldn't think about it the same way. Interesting stuff, and some of it can be out there, but just allowing your brain to think outside the box helps loosen the strong grip that you might have had on problems. And sometimes that's what we need. Sometimes we need to stretch beyond how we normally think so that we can think differently and feel differently. So no matter what, just keep an open mind because you never know what direction your brain can go and this will help you step into your power so that you can be firm in your decisions and actions to help you create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure and above all. And this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.